What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Richard Furtag is the founder of Stomp Capital and the creator of Short-Term Rental University. In this conversation, we discuss short-term rentals, the real estate market, and how you at home can get started in this brand new asset class. I really enjoyed this conversation with Richard, and I hope you do as well. Before we get started, though, I want to first talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Mode. Mode allows you to buy, earn, and grow Bitcoin all in one app. Not only is it a secure app to buy and hold Bitcoin, Mode allows you to pay and receive up to 10% Bitcoin cash back from its growing list of online partner brands. Mode, the UK fintech app, is one of a kind. They're FCA registered and are listed on the LSE in the UK and the OTCQB in the US. They choose to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. They are piloting a Bitcoin payroll product to pay UK employees in Bitcoin. Mode is giving away one whole Bitcoin to one of their customers. All you have to do is set up an account with Mode to be in a chance of winning. That's it. The opportunity ends January 31st, 2022. Download Mode today on the App Store or the Google Play Store. It's only available in the UK, but if you're in the UK and you're not using Mode, you're wrong. Go download Mode today, where you can buy, earn, and grow Bitcoin. They're very Bitcoin friendly. They hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet, and they're paying their UK employees in Bitcoin as well. Go download Mode today. This episode is brought to you by CoinCloud. Did you know you can buy and sell crypto with cash? I want to introduce you to CoinCloud. They are more than just a Bitcoin ATM company. CoinCloud is the world's leading digital currency machine operator. They've been around since 2014 and have thousands of machines across the country. You can buy and sell Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Cardano, and over 30 other digital assets. No connecting bank accounts, no long waits. And if you have questions, you can speak to a live US-based customer support rep 24-7. I've had a lot of Bitcoin ATM companies reach out, but CoinCloud is the only team I've found that does things right. They put together a special offer for listeners of this show. You can get $50 in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use promo code POMP. Find your local ATM at coin.cloud slash POMP. Again, that's coin.cloud slash POMP and use promo code POMP to get $50 of free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any of their machines. Today's episode is brought to you by Fundrise. You all know I believe that the best investors both understand and seek out extreme asymmetry. Fundrise is here to help you do just that. It's the largest direct-to-investor real estate investment platform out there, giving you the opportunity to achieve upside of an asset class previously reserved for institutions and high net worth individuals. That's right. Fundrise is making high-end private market real estate investing accessible to everyone via an easy-to-use automated platform. Its 1 million users already know that the investment with Fundrise is capable of producing strong appreciation returns and income generation while helping to stabilize a diversified portfolio. That's more important now than ever in our inflationary environment. See for yourself how over 190,000 other investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started with as little as $10. Go to fundrise.com slash pomp today. And for a limited time, you'll get $10 when you place your first investment. Again, that's fundrise.com slash pomp. Go check it out. And when you make your first investment, they'll give you $10 on top of it. Fundrise.com slash pomp. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Richard, 
How are you? I'm great, my friend. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited to talk. Uh, let's start first with uh, a little bit of a background on uh, your real estate investing. Um, I think that people uh, sitting at home are like, man, real estate sounds awesome. I want to uh, start getting involved in uh, this. But maybe kind of explaining your perspective would be a good place to start. So what, what, how did you get into real estate investing and what are you doing now? Absolutely. So the first thing I would say about real estate investing is uh, it's accessible to everybody. We often see people that are, have uh, large portfolios of multifamily and large buildings, and it seems inaccessible to a lot of people. But the way that I actually uh, invest and teach people at Short-Term Rental University how to do it is accessible to many. Uh, and you can actually buy your dream vacation home and have it paid by somebody else uh, using Airbnb or Verbo. And eventually you get into more uh, intelligent strategies where uh, you're getting bookings directly. But the point being, you can start really small. It doesn't require a, a large budget or even a great vision. The proof of concept is already there. What I'm currently doing is creating an institutional quality portfolio, buying up assets, zoning, locations, unique properties that are at the heart of what short-term rental guests really want. Uh, today, people want experiences far more than luxury. And this is a new disruptive mini asset class, if you will, or a sub asset class in real estate. Uh, and I encourage everybody to learn more because we're in the very early stages here. And like everything that you teach in crypto and Bitcoin specifically, right now, mom and pop individual hosts are ahead of the institutions. It's rare. Usually institutions are the smart money. They get all the upside. But right now, the vast majority of the five or six million hosts that are on Airbnb and Verbo and taking advantage of this and buying vacation homes, having other people pay for it, scaling by multiple locations and so on, tend to be mom and pop operators that have the uh, first mover advantage. And if desired, I think there's a very strong likelihood that institutional investors will move into this space in the future and will start to buy from these mom and pops. So it's a great time to get started. So when you think about uh, a deal in kind of short-term rentals, walk me through like the execution of this. Are these homes usually, are they more like apartments? Like how does this work? So if I'm, let's just say uh, an average person uh, living in the United States, I go to work, I'm an accountant, I'm a mid-level manager, uh, you know, wh whatever position I have, whatever occupation I have, uh, I got a little bit of extra money and I'm like, hey, this sounds interesting to me. How does this work from like a sequence of events or an execution to actually get set up to start running? Uh, running this? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I would say is, um, historically, it's been very challenging to get started in short-term rentals if your W-2 income didn't support having a second home or a vacation home. As the asset class has matured a little bit, there's now early entrance uh, in the financing lenders that will actually lend against the asset like in every other real estate class. So when you go buy a multifamily building, it's unlikely that your W-2 income allows you to buy this $70 million building. What they underwrite is the rent, the earnings from that building. We're now at the very early stages in the short-term rental market where there's some uh, forward-thinking lenders that say, you know what, this asset generates net operating income. I can take Richard's, say, 20% down uh, and then underwrite the asset for the balance and make sure that it cash flows. So to answer your question specifically, Pomp, um, I don't really recommend doing things that are generic. You talked about condos or apartments. That's not really the sweet spot for where I see the future of short-term rentals. 
the future of short-term rentals and what people are actually seeking are more unique things. So maybe it's a vacation place, maybe it's some land and you put some yurts on it. It doesn't have to be big or fancy. It just has to be experience-based and unique and attract a tribe that's similar to you. And the way that you would literally do it is um, find the location. I recommend that you look where it's not crowded. There's a lot of really popular vacation spots. I started talking about the Smokies four years ago to people in my live audience and in my classes, and that market's gone up straight up, but there's still a lot of undiscovered places where there's not a lot of people chasing these opportunities where you can, for not a lot of money, get started, put 20% down, work with some of these lenders, and somebody can you know, direct tweet me uh, at I'm Richard Fertig, and I'll be happy to share um, leads and suggestions and so on. Um, but with 20 to 25% down, you can get started, you can buy that location, you list it on Airbnb, the thumbnail is critically important, the copy is critically important, um, but almost immediately, you will start to monetize this asset. The days of like, will this work are long behind us. Like the fact of the matter is, it does in fact work, and most of the people that are in short-term rental university, whether they're in our Facebook group or our YouTube channel or whatever, uh, are not only profitable, but they're scaling. It's worked so well with the first one that many have taken a second one, a third one, a fifth one. Many people are actually leaving W-2 jobs and starting to do this professionally and full-time. And not only that, it's a lot of fun. You get to go travel, you get to use the place when you're doing repairs and meeting with maintenance people. So there's a tremendous amount of upside and it's literally the sweet spot of where hospitality is going and what people are seeking and it's very early. So when you think about this, let's say that uh, I go and I buy, whether it's a, a standalone, you know, like a home uh, or I get an apartment or, or whatever kind of the asset itself ends up being, uh, and I make the purchase, I'm able to secure the financing and, and go ahead and do that. Uh, it's got to be furnished, right? So I've got to make sure that there's furniture, et cetera, in there, and I go and I do that. Uh, and then I put it up on Airbnb. I nail down the thumbnail, the title, the description, the pricing, everything. Bam, we're ready to rock and roll. Okay. Somebody comes and stays there. Once they leave, what's the work that goes into they left and you got to get it ready for the next one? Are most of these owners actually cleaning it themselves? Are they hiring cleaning folks? Um, are they doing certain uh, other services or are they just renting it? Like, how do you think about the experience yeah. of the guest and then the order of operations before the next guest shows up, how people can kind of scale this? Because it sounds like they're not actually, you know, just managing it themselves. That They're kind of using external services as well. Yeah. So typically most people get started with one and oftentimes they'll do most of the guest interaction and the communication, get it set up, learn the ropes, kind of like you would any business, right? Like you want to see all aspects of it. I don't necessarily think you have to clean um, yourself, but you should hire, start to build a small team. And it's really just a cleaning person, a handyman, have a relationship with an HVAC provider in the area or a plumber, just standard operating things. And you do it in advance, right? You don't wait until you have a plumbing issue to try and call around because at that point you're not going to get any help. Um, once you've determined sort of what your process looks like and what you like to do, uh, I recommend that everybody start to scale and automate all of this stuff so that you take the individual homeowner outside of being the operator and turn it into being a business owner. And that's what's really required to scale. Furthermore, I recommend that people get started with what's known as remote hosting. Too often we see people getting started in their backyard and that is like a crutch. Like, oh, there's a plumbing problem. Hey, Pomp, I got to get off this uh, show right now. I have a plumbing issue. I'm going to run over there myself. But if your property is located six hours away or six hour flight away, you can't rely on that. So consequently, you don't have that crutch. And so you solve for it. And in order to scale, 
you need to do all of that. And that's one of the reasons that people say that this isn't really an asset class, that it won't really scale and institutional capital can't come into it. And that's baloney. Um, the fact of the matter is the rate of return is so high, the yield, the thirst for yield is so great in these institutional providers. They know and they're circling and they're investigating all of this. The amount of capital that's at stake here, they will figure out the operations and it's really pretty straightforward. And this is what I do and this is what I teach others to do. You create a middle and back office that handles just about everything. And then you create small micro teams in each location and then you automate everything. And that, that's what allows me to have properties in Costa Rica, Palm Springs, California, Palm Beach, Florida. I'm here in Jackson Hole, we have a property here. So you start to do all of this and create an international diversified portfolio with different risk characteristics and different return profiles. And at the portfolio level, it's an incredibly attractive cash flow proposition. Got it. And so when you think about how much money somebody can make from this, like what are the returns that people are actually generating? And and not from like, uh, what, there's none of this is financial advice, but just, is this something where people are targeting like five to 10% uh, returns on an annual basis? Is it more like 15 to 20%? How do you think about that? So it depends on the user. Um, so for you, Pomp, for instance, if you and your wife wanted a vacation home, you might be happy breaking even, but you're like, hey, I've got this incredible vacation home. I go use it twice a year for a week or two and like somebody else is paying for it. And that would clear your investment hurdle. For a true investor, though, what we're seeing is cash flow and returns that are two and three times higher what you see if you're a landlord in a traditional multifamily 12 month lease scenario. So if they're generating, let's call it, it's a three to 6% cap rate, we're seeing two to three X that by taking what's known as vacancy risk. The reason that short-term rentals command a premium is because we don't have a 12 month lease. We don't have the certainty that Pomp is gonna write a check every single month. We've got this vacancy unknown. However, where we are today, and the reason we know we're so early in this space is the premium, the vacancy risk is mispriced and we're being, overly compensated for that. We have certain people in our group and on our YouTube channel that are making 30, 40% cash on cash type returns. I think that that's abnormal. I'm not here to suggest that you can just go out and make those kind of returns, but there are people that are doing that. Um, and no matter what, when it's done properly and you're using dynamic pricing and you make this thing more of a business as opposed to a hobby and you're using it less yourself, that's the biggest um, you know, detractor. What is it from the Scarface? Like, don't get high on your own supply. Like you have this incredible place. If you keep going and using it, you're gonna make less money. But if you, and I'm often, you know, I've got properties all over the place. I'm often homeless because they're all booked. Um, but so once you get outside of that and you turn it more into a business, you should see two to three X what you see on a long-term rental rate. So said differently, if you can rent a one bedroom house for $1,000 a month, the amount of revenue that we're seeing in the short-term rental space is two to three X that. Now there are more expenses, but nowhere near offsetting the amount of revenue. And that's why this is such an attractive asset class, not only for me and my followers, but soon institutional capital as well. Explain dynamic pricing. How, how does that work in terms of for short-term rentals? Is it just understanding uh, seasonality, other events in the local area, kind of when high demand is, you raise the price and you just drop it when uh, when there's lower demand or how does that work? Yeah. So what's actually happening now, and you see this, you know, Pomp, you've been attracted to asset classes early. This is the maturation of the asset class, right? Like first it's hard to get funding, then it's a little easier, then it becomes common. First it's hard to get insurance, then it's a little easier, then it's common. Um, 
Dynamic pricing and all of these different services exist around the short-term rental market and more and more are uh, popping up every single day. So initially, it's exactly what you described. Entrepreneurs like myself would say, hey, weekends get surge pricing and it's 4th of July, that gets surge pricing and we would do it manually. Since then, there's several different uh, dynamic pricing services. You know, SaaS companies have entered. There's a whole ecosystem that's growing around this. Um, and dynamic pricing is basically people that do the exact same thing for hotels, for car rentals, for airplane seats. They look at this, just the data, big data, and say there's a lot of um, demand in this particular street, and it's down to that level, right? It's like literally that granular. There's a lot of demand on this street, on this date, and there's not a lot of supply, and so consequently, we're going to increase pricing. And so if you were to book one of my places for a seven-day period, Every single one of those days has a different price associated with it. And that dynamic pricing literally should result in 30 to 40 percent bump in uh, your in your revenue versus doing it yourself. No matter how good you are skilled, you know your place, you know the holidays, all that stuff, you know the festivals. The dynamic pricing has big data and it's advantageous and everybody who's doing this should be using dynamic pricing services. I happen to use one called um, Price Labs. Uh, there's others out there like Wheelhouse and Beyond Pricing. They all have slightly different you know, algorithms and characteristics. But my point is, there's now more and more uh, SaaS companies coming into this space, which is also helping me understand that this will be an institutional asset. Got it. And so when you think about work from home or other dynamics that are kind of changing here, uh, is that having a positive or negative impact or is it agnostic to a lot of these short term rentals? Like, do you see uh, kind of a tailwind of now that more people can work from home, they can kind of move around. There's dynamic pricing, et cetera. Like, is, how is that all interwoven or, or kind of related? Yeah, that's hugely positive for what it is that we're doing. Right. And that's one of the reasons I don't think COVID uh, caused this. I think COVID accelerated it. Right. So like we basically Basically, in a one-year period accelerated by 10 years, a lot of the trends that we've been thinking about and forecasting, and COVID has really brought it to the fore. So there are studies now that talk about the second most important thing in employment beyond compensation is flexibility. It's really hard to get people that are out of the office back into the office. And more importantly, if you just take a look at historically, you know, a couple hundred years ago, we were an agrarian society. Everybody lived near the farms. A hundred years after that, we became industrial. People moved near the factories. More recently, we became a service-based economy. And so people lived near the banks and in urban areas and, you know, the legal system and so on. And now we're becoming a creator economy, right? It's all about creation and um, things that artificial intelligence can't really replicate. So comedy, writing, uh, YouTube channels, all of this stuff is the future of where value add uh, employment is. And most people that I know that enjoy this sort of creativity like being in inspired places. And I sent a tweet around not too long ago, which is like, if you yourself are not inspired, how are you going to inspire others? And so this concept of people working remotely and working um, in different locations and environments uh, is here to stay. I personally chase the seasons, right? So like in the summer, I'm on a barrier island in the Outer Banks. In winter, I'm here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. In the fall and the spring, I'm in Nosara. I've also created opportunities and businesses in those different locations. And while I might be unique today, my bet is in a decade or two or further, um, it'll be the norm. People will move around for creativity, for inspiration, for travel, for different cultures, smells, tastes, etc. So we're at the very early stage of what I think will be a major trend and short term rentals is the only way to actually capitalize on that from a real estate perspective, because 
I don't know who invented the law that a 12 month lease is like the norm or that you have to buy a home. What we're seeing right now, some of the most successful and creative people literally move around every six weeks, every six months. It doesn't matter, but they want to move. So you basically said, hey, here's where I want to live uh, during certain parts of the year. Let me go there. Let me uh, get property. When I get the property, I'll rent it out when I'm not there. And then when I want to be there, I'll just block that out. I'll live there. And then what that allows for you to do is probably either cover your costs or come close to covering your costs, maybe make a little bit of a profit on the short-term rentals. Uh, and then when you want to use the property, you can, but you're not actually paying for it out of pocket to have, you know, three, four, five different houses across the, uh, across the world. That's correct. Um, I also do it from a, a fund level. So we are, we have a, a profit motive, so I don't stay in those properties. But your concept is correct. One could do that, and I do that personally. And then separate and apart from that in the Stomp Capital portfolio, we're there for profit, and I don't stay in those locations. But you raise an interesting point. Um, I try and highlight all of the benefits of short-term rental investing and compare them to other types of real estate investing. What you just described there is optionality. Mm -hmm. So anybody who comes from, you know, the financial markets knows that options have value. The fact that I can block my calendar, use it, rent it for a week, rent it for a month, rent it for 12 months, that optionality, that flexibility is not priced into the short-term rental market yet. Eventually it will, right? And, and the fact that zoning allows for the short-term rentals means that that zoning is more valuable than zoning that does not allow it. And regulatory risk is one of the biggest risks we investors face, but there's ways to accomplish that. You go into places where it's already legal, you go into places where they charge a um, lodging tax, an overnight tax, a hotel tax, they call it different things. And the reason that gives me more comfort is because then those communities are dependent on that revenue to fix their roads, to expand their middle school and so on and so forth. And it's very hard for politicians to say, you know what, we don't really care about the middle school anymore. Anymore. We don't really care about fixing the road. What we care about is not having short-term rentals, and consequently, we're going to figure out taxes some other way. Um, but that flexibility and that zoning right and that optionality, completely not priced into the short-term rental asset class. And while you're buying at these levels, I think you have a bright future ahead. Joe, John, what questions you guys got? Hey, Richard, thanks for coming on. This is fascinating stuff. My, my question would just be around kind of how you pick locations. What are the specific, maybe you have some idea or can give us some specific locations that uh, you're looking at or you think are good, but ultimately, like, what are the attributes you look for in a location before you start uh, investing in, in, in specific areas? Absolutely. Um, great question. The way that I teach people to actually do this is really to be introspective and see what you like most. So for instance, if you're not a skier, even if the numbers look really good on a place that's you know around ski country, um, you'll likely burn out or you'll have a problem with your heater and your furnace in the middle of time and you're just like, ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense. But if it connects to something deeper on a personal level, then likely you'll be able to weather this for the long term. And you know, I see Pomp constantly reminding us, think long term, think for the future, right? Like um, it's the same thing with this. You have to be able to hold the asset long enough. The easiest way to hold the asset long enough is if it resonates with you personally. And then the only other bet that you're making, Joe, is that there's other like-minded people. So if you really love um, skiing, let's look at ski country, then we can run the numbers. There's a service out there called Air DNA, which allows you literally to put in a zip code, I'm sorry, the street address, 123 Main Street, um, Jackson, Wyoming, and it'll tell you based on the number of bedrooms and bathrooms and so on, what a projected revenue income stream would look like. So the first thing I say is connect to your why. There's no right place for all of us. The more that it's closely re uh, related to something that you like to do, the longer you'll hold it. And the more likely that you'll attract people that are like you. And the 
challenges in short-term rentals is getting the wrong guests in there and screening them out. So the more this is related to you and and you can promote that through thumbnails and your experiences and what it is that you do, the more likely the similar type person is going to book your place and take good care of it and maintain it, and you'll be quite successful. Gotcha. John, what do you got for us? Yeah, Richard, thank you for joining us. This is uh, this is awesome. Can you talk about how to determine the price of a different property and kind of the revenue streams from that? So you talked about a service like AirDNA, but um, on a mountain, for example, in Jackson Hole, it probably rents a lot more during the winter than the summer. Can you just talk about the differences there? Yeah, absolutely. And what's kind of interesting is you would think it depends where you're located at, say, in Jackson Hole. Um, you would think, and I did, that the winter would be more popular than the summer. It turns out summer is peak season, right? So a few things. I always recommend that you have at least two seasons. Um, don't just go to a place that has like one season because God forbid something happens in that one season, you got to carry this thing for a whole 12 months. But if you have summer seasonality and winter seasonality or spring and fall or whatever, um, you have greater likelihood of, of um, being able to weather any storm that comes our way. Um, as far as pricing, the single biggest mistake I see people making is underpricing. Most people say, you know what, like this is a two bedroom ski condo. It's not ski in, ski out. And so I would pay 240 bucks a night for it or whatever. But when you move to dynamic pricing, what you'll quickly find is it's like an auction. It doesn't matter what you would pay. It matters what the buyer, the end user would pay. And the end user is a logical person. So they're looking at comps. They're looking at other availability. They're looking at other pricing. And if they buy your place for that week, instead of at 240, but at 440, that's all additional profit and nobody's doing something that's not in their best interest. So even though you may not think your place is worth 440 a night, if somebody hits that bid, that's the market clearing price and you shouldn't feel bad about it. The higher the price though, the more value you wanna add in terms of guest services and communication and hospitality. But that doesn't mean that you have to be like hands-on and living there, it just means that you have to be responsive and, and professional and give them advice and answer their questions. It's really not challenging. Yeah, Richard. And then one more question. How do you think about outsourcing, renting the actual property? If someone doesn't have the time or something, is it better to use a third-party service to do that or just go on Airbnb yourself? So a lot of people use a third-party service, whether it's a property manager or a company like Vacasa uh, or Evolve. And I don't have any experience with those larger uh, company names. Some of my personal lifestyle assets where, again, I'm not actually like monetizing it as much as I just want like a incredible place to live and paid for by with somebody else's money. I will use local property managers and pay them, you know, between 10 and say 20%. And again, profit isn't the motive. But if you're doing this for profit, if this is an investment for you, um, and and we're seeing more and more people circling doing this as an investment. It's really incumbent on you to learn how to do the property management yourself and list it on Airbnb and on Verbo. You always want to list on at least two platforms in case you get, you know, deplatformed on one of them for whatever reason. Um, and then eventually you want to start moving towards direct bookings. Once you start to have your guests and your tribe and people like it and you've got good reviews, um, it's really easy for people to say, hey, I want to book this next year or the next few years. And you start to develop your own book of business. It takes a little while, but that's the end goal. Because then at the end of the day, just like with um, Amazon, you don't control the email list or the clients, but on Shopify, you have direct access, you know who your clients are, you can email them and say, I've got a special, I've got a new product. Once you have direct access to your clientele, now you've got your own book of business and that's even more valuable than say Airbnb or any other platform. Richard, 
How can people learn more about this? I know that you do a bunch of uh, work in terms of educating folks and uh, and kind of showing them what you're doing. Where, where can we send folks to uh, to learn more from you and and uh, the team you've assembled? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Pomp. Um, so the first thing is, I, I don't know how to do this. It's backwards or something here. Uh, short-term rental university. Um, we have a YouTube channel, 61,000 subs or thereabouts. Uh, we have a Facebook group, also short-term rental university with about 50,000 uh, hosts from all over the world. And it's a great resource. If you have a question, hey, this happened, how would you guys handle it? We have 50,000 active hosts all over the world that are there to help and assist and so on. So it's a wonderful resource. Uh, so I would start at those two places, Short-Term Rental University YouTube channel. We have over 500 uh, videos that are free. Um, if you want to co-invest with me, you're putting up the Stomp Capital there. Uh, that's the fund that we've launched and raised. Uh, really excited about the prospects in the future. And our goal there is to actually create an institutional quality portfolio that some private equity real estate firm or a hospitality company says, wow, I love the assets and the locations and the zoning that you've locked up. Um, so if anybody wants to be a passive investor, and this sounds really interesting, but you don't have the time or energy or bandwidth to do it, um, we now have, I think we're the first, if not the first, one of very few um, short-term rental focused private equity real estate funds. Today, you have to be an accredited investor uh, to participate. I know you go off and off, and I agree with you about accreditation not being necessarily the right metric, but we play by the rules. So that's the, where we are today. How long would this take for us to execute? Let's say that my brothers and I said, all right, we're going to do one of these. How long would it take for us to get this done? Is it like a 30-day process, 90-day process, so, two years? So here's what I would say, Pomp. In the future, I genuinely believe that everybody's going to have something like this, right? Like we're moving into this sharing economy and so on. So there's no reason that you should have to be super wealthy to have a, a vacation house, whether it's at the beach or the lake or the mountain. So I think in the future, everybody will have assets like this that pay for themselves or monetize. And it's really straightforward. The biggest challenge in how long this takes is for you to actually acquire the property. So if you guys could go out like today and say, hey, we've always had our eye on this location in uh, California, and you could buy the property and close on it today, less than 30 days. I highly recommend though, that you take it very, uh, very seriously from a design and decoration perspective, because the bar is improving. It used to be, you just slap anything on Airbnb and it would rent because there wasn't a ton of supply. Um, through dialogue like this and our YouTube channel, literally tens of thousands of hosts are onboarding on the platform every single day. The single most important thing you can do is differentiate yourself. So don't do a generic copycat, me too, apartment, condo. There's a lot of institutional money um, that's doing that in rental arbitrage. They're going out and they're scaling. They're viewing it as a technology play. In my personal opinion, um, they're doing it all wrong. The opportunity in the short-term rental market is to be unique and differentiated. So go get that insane place on a cliff with an incredible view and just throw up a yurt. Get a, you know, anything that's unique, whether it's design, architecture, location, access, but something that's like one of one, right? Like one of one is going to sell on the short-term rental space forever. Once you find that, spend the money to improve it if needed or design it and decorate it and make it really hospitable. Make it for yourself and you're going to find other people that are like, hey, I love Pomp Style. That's fantastic. Let's go do that. Uh, and that'll give you the really long runway. But if you just enter and do it generically and save a little bit of money and go to Ikea and do all that, like, yeah, that'll work, but it might only work for 12 to 18 months. We want to do something that's going to work for 12 to 18 years. I, I think that that's like a really interesting part of this too, is uh, it's not just the, sh it's a short-term rental for a long-term vision. 
right? Which I think short-term is like a, rental for long-term wealth. Yeah, which is a which is a really uh, really good way to kind of think about uh, what you're doing here. This this is fascinating to me. I feel like uh, I agree with you that this is going to become much more popular over time. So I think you're uh, you're well yeah. ahead of the curve. It is becoming incredibly popular, and it's incredibly um, advantageous on a variety of levels. Not only is the cash flow greater than any other real estate. You have equal, if not greater, price appreciation. There's a lot more room for price appreciation because right now all of these homes are trading on comps. So like the house across the street for the Jones, where like the Jones family literally lives, that's how much I'm buying this business, this small business for. There's no NOI component, so there will be cap rate compression, which will drive price appreciation. And at the same time, we get all of the benefits of depreciation in real estate. So it's tax advantaged. I mean, literally, I've searched my entire life. I used to be a hedge fund manager, ran a large $4 billion portfolio. Our mission was to generate as much return with as little risk. And the best way to do that is to find mispriced assets and get to the asset class early, because you're risking a little to make a lot. Yeah, that most is, people do it the opposite, right? They want safety, security. The asset's already been discovered. Now you're risking a lot to make a little. Good luck on that strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like uh, the pension funds. All right, man. Listen, Richard, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to do this. Uh, I've learned a ton. I hope that a lot of people who are watching this uh, learned as well. Uh, if you do not follow Richard on Twitter, please go do that or go subscribe to uh, to their YouTube channel. Uh, it's packed with tons and tons of great information. I've learned a lot from it. So uh, I appreciate taking the time to come on. And uh, hopefully there's a couple people who watch this who end up uh, going and doing it themselves. And if you guys do end up doing it, let us know so that we can uh, we can promote whatever uh, whatever you end up accomplishing. I love it. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Pomp, contact me. Let's get you a vacation house. You and your wife need to do this. <laughs> oh, don't. Listen, I don't need to be spending any more money. <laughs> All right, listen, we'll you're not spending money. Uh, you're you sound like her. Dollar. You sound like her. <laughs> awesome, go. man. All right, I'll see you later. <laughs> All right, be well. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. Bye, Bye guys. Man.